Hi, everyone. I'm Kyle Bechet, and this is the AAF Exchange, a podcast from the American Action Forum, where experts provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic policy issues. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in. This is the 30th episode of the AAF Exchange, and is part eight of our series on the economic impact of COVID-19. Joining us is, of course, AAF's President Douglas Holtz-Aiken. Doug, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Jamie, Kyle. How, how's the past week been for you? Um, you know, the, the the weeks all look the same. The days all look the same. Um, I, I have to go back and review how long we've been doing this. And, and But other than that, you know, it's, it's like most things in life. You get used to it. You adjust and you start to, you know, try to look for the, the bright spots. You know, walking the dog is exceptionally exciting now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My roommates and I, we have a countdown down in our uh, kitchen. I think it's like day 58 or something like that. And and I, at this point, it's like uh, the only three days I know are yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Those are. <laughs> Although, you know, some a bright ray of sunshine came with South Korean baseball. That was a big moment. Yeah. And hopefully soon uh, American baseball, um, oh. from what I've heard, you know, around uh, July 4th, we might be we might be seeing a couple of ball games. That'd be Once great. I would love that. So anyways, um, Doug, uh, this week, House Democrats released their proposal for the next round of federal aid related to the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, it's a $3 trillion bill, so big number. That's 50% larger than the historic $2 trillion CARES Act bill. So my first question, very simply, is what's in this bill? Well, uh, everything under the sun, to be honest. It's it's an en- enormous in its scope, um, you know. There are some things that will be familiar from the, the CARES Act. There's going to be uh, an effort to extend the extra $600 of federal unemployment insurance into early two, 2021. Uh, that's not something I think we should support. We've been concerned that the original proposition was going to get in the way of getting people back to work because they'll lose money in the process. And that's that's not a great incentive. So that extension, I think, is going to be controversial at best. Um, uh, another round of checks, you know, send a check out for each individual and for kids. Um, and then some new things on the individual front. Uh, there's a proposal in there to pay 100% of the so-called COBRA coverage for individuals who lost their job and want to continue to use the insurance they had with their previous employer. Uh, there's a long-standing uh, law that goes back to, to 1985 where this so-called COBRA coverage allows you to make the payments for that, and the employer keeps you on that insurance. There's a big advantage to keeping people on the insurance because then they don't have to change their doctors and, and who's, who's covered and not covered. And you know, in the midst of a pandemic, the less shuffling around you do of these care networks is probably a good idea. So uh, that's a new uh, proposal, and I think one that's going to get some attention. Uh, there's also a lot of money on housing assistance, broadly defined money. You know, basically, the CARES Act said if you have a mortgage that's touched by a federal entity like Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, then you can not pay your uh, mortgage payments for up to a year. Um, if you're a, a landlord and you've got a commercial mortgage, same kinds of things. This expands it to everybody and just puts a lot of money in to make rental payments on behalf of low-income renters, make mortgage payments on behalf of the individuals and, you know, throw a lot of money at housing assistance in general. So that, that's, I think, um, a big part of it. The, the most um, high profile thing in the CARES Act has been this so-called PPP, the Paycheck Protection Program, where the firms 
uh, got got money, and uh, if they kept their employees on the books, they could forget the loan got forgiven and became a grant. They didn't put any new money in that. They they said it's just going to go for another three months instead of expiring in July. It's going to go a little bit longer, and they they sort of allowed you to use the money for more things, not just payroll. So some minor tweaks on PPP, um, a lot of money for health concerns like expanding Medicaid and, and things that every everyone in the the hospital and healthcare food chain is going to get some money out of this bill. And so there, there's there's some things we've seen before. But we put a lot more money in them. A couple of new things on the individual front. But, but the biggest innovation, which is about a trillion dollars, is money for state and local governments. And um, that trillion, which is what puts it above the CARES Act, uh, would come in four buckets. There'd be a bucket that's uh, for every jurisdiction, so you give each state the money. Uh, then there's another bucket that would be distributed based on population. So if you've got a lot of people, you get more money. If you're small, you get less money. There's a third bucket that says, okay, we're not going to give any money in 2020, but when we get to 2021, let's look back, see who had the most COVID-19 cases, and we'll distribute the money based on how many cases you had to deal with. And then the last bucket is, okay, what's unemployment look like? Again, go to 2021, look back over this year and say, who had a lot of unemployment? Give the money out there. So uh, this is a, a sort of big initiative, and, and I think it's going to be one of the more controversial elements as they go forward. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, you've watched this, this movie before. No one believes this is something the president's going to sign. It's the starting point for uh, you know negotiation, try to figure out what uh, the Senate might do and, and look for a middle ground. Yeah. So, I mean, in previous in, the, in our previous podcast episode, you know, we, last week we discussed um, the devastating April jobs report number. Um, right. Very bad. Um, is this a bill that is a response to those numbers? What what is driving this bill forward? Uh, I think the bill is um, a response to the numbers, certainly at some level. I mean, it's these are cataclysmically bad numbers. They have to be seen as doing something like you don't want to be seen. As saying, yeah, that was really bad. But so what? So there's no question there's a political imperative to, to sort of look like you want to do something. Um, it's a response to constituencies that the Democrats care about and which weren't in the CARES bill. State and local governments, uh, large metropolitan areas are, are dominated by uh, Democratic governors and I mean, uh, mayors and, and the like. And so that that's a constituency for them. They want to want to take care of it. And, you know, so you, you see that in this as well. I think the disappointing part of this, from my point of view, is the CARES Act had a particular structure from an economic point of view. It was a let's flood the economy with money to preserve it through the crisis. There's a point where that has to stop and we have to say, OK, what are we trying to support in terms of growth? And you don't want to just plow money into something because it used to, to be around. If it's not going to have a future, you can't do it. This, this is CARES, too, in that regard. It's just mm -hmm. throw more money in. And, and not particularly thoughtful in the way it does it. Mm, just plussed up in a lot of areas. It seems yep. like. So let me ask you this. How serious of a proposal is this? I mean, do you think this is pretty much what they're looking at for their fourth federal response uh, in this area? I, I don't think this is a uh, anything you could char characterize as a bipartisan outcome of the, the next response. I, 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 um, I think it's, as I said, serious from the point of view of the Democrats saying these are our priorities. I, I think there are people on both sides of the aisle who are choking a bit on the price tag. Um, and, you know, for everyone, I would say it is still true that we should not short circuit efforts 
to deal with the, the fallout of the pandemic, but we should only spend money on things that are the fallout of the pandemic and can improve the, the economic performance. There's a lot in here that has nothing to do with mm. that. And, and that, that, that you don't want to fund that. Gotcha. And, and here's the hard part. Here's the hard part. Sorry to interrupt. But the, so take the state and take the, take the state governments. The, the state governments have three problems. Um, one, like the businesses, um, their revenue streams disappeared. When the customers went away, so did the sales taxes, income taxes, and you know, so they they ran into the same cash flow crunch everyone ran into. Um, with the big businesses, the way we're solving that is they can borrow at these special facilities the Fed set up, so we get these reduced rate loans to cover that problem. So you could ask, well, maybe we should have the states do that. And indeed, the states have a facility at the Fed where they can go. So do municipalities. So um, that raises the question, how much should be done via borrowing? How much should the federal government just write them a check for that particular kind of problem, which is, we hope, short term, went away, comes back, we're okay. Second thing they have is they have much increased expenses for first responders, healthcare, all of the things that are the costs of responding on the ground to the health uh, mission. It's, it seems to me that that's in the national interest to do and that it's legitimate for the taxpayer to uh, help, if not pick up the entire tab for that. And the third is some states have longstanding structural fiscal problems, uh, the poster child of pensions in the state of Illinois. Uh, no one, I think, thinks it's appropriate to plow money into those. That that's a problem that we, we shouldn't reward them for having sort of not done their job uh, and we should focus on other things. The way this money is going out, there's no way to stop that. So I think the reason it's going to be controversial is it says you get it if you're a state. Well, what restricts how you use it? You know, which problem are you going to use it to solve? Right. So I, I expect a lot of debate on this front. Okay. Um, so how do you think this proposal will shape a phase four legislative response? Well, I think the most important thing is to see what, what they're willing to let drop, right? I mean, are they dead set on another round of checks? Are they dead set on $600 in, into January? Because to be sure, there are things that uh, we've seen Republicans signal as very important among them. $600 cannot continue in its current form, so extending is, not, is a non-starter. Um, and they want to have some liability protection firms who reopen and face the prospect that some of their employees uh, end up sick and they want to make sure they're not blamed for it inappropriately. So, you know, they want that. Democrats want some things. So watching what drops out of the discussion is probably the most important thing. Gotcha. We've also talked a lot on this uh, podcast about uh, the unemployment insurance um, provisions in the CARES Act. Obviously, as you've mentioned at the top of this podcast and throughout, um, that the Democrats' bill would extend the CARES Act's unemployment provisions until January. And uh, Isabel Soto, uh, AAF's uh, labor policy analyst, um, has a piece out looking at this issue. Would you walk us through her findings on that? Yeah, and she's um, uh, done some very careful work, which um, uh, goes like this. You, you go to a state and you look at its workers and and look at the the earnings they had in the labor market last year. Um, and then you take the maximum state unemployment benefit and you add the 600 bucks and you start asking the question, where do you make more? And it turns out that the vast majority of Americans, uh, in fact, 70 odd percent would make more on unemployment insurance. So the first finding is this is a really big subsidy and it's going to be hard to get people to go back to work uh, in, the, in the presence of it. Second thing you find is, it's really different across states, um, you know, and, and you know, D.C. has a relatively low number. 
Uh, Utah has a really big number. And so it, it, it sort of highlights the fact that unemployment insurance is a state-based system, and we have dropped a one-size-fits-all supplement to it in there, and it's going to cause a different kind of chaos wherever it lands. And that's that's a real – that's a lesson in policymaking in general. Yeah. So do you, do you think there's a right level for, for a federal unemployment supplement? Um, again – I think it's appropriate to respond to the pandemic and to make um, UI more generous when people can't work. And a lot of people in lockdown was, a, 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 I think, a very uh, healthy impulse. And I think no one should be confused by that. It's a very different proposition when things are opening up and you want to make sure that the labor market restarts. And it's a response to a crisis and it should go away after the crisis. So I think this should be being phased out over the course of 2020 um, so that when we get to next year, it's not around at all. Mm -hmm. So, so I mean, I, I know there's large variation between the different states um, with with this unemployment insurance. Um, what role, if any, should the federal government play in this program You know, going forward? Uh, the traditional role for the federal government has been to um, provide supplemental extended benefits. So when they Take normal UI, it goes for 26 weeks. Back in the Great Recession, we extended it several times, got to be as long as 52 weeks, a full year. Um, the federal government picked up the tab for some of those extensions. So, so for extraordinary UI, the federal government has always stepped in. In this case, they created a, a, literally a federal benefit, more generous UI, same, similar in spirit, different different me uh, mechanism. So that that's a role the federal government play. The other thing the federal government does is it provides interest-free loans to states for their UI program. So if, if there's a particularly bad spell of UI that, that, but still doesn't require federal intervention, they can give them the money to run their programs if, if things aren't going well. Mm -hmm. So again, we've, we've, we've talked about this a lot, but I think it bears repeating. Um, as states reopen, it seems like a solution here is going to be essential for the economic recovery, right? Yeah, I think we need to, to see something on this front. No question about right. it. Yeah, I mean, you've talked about the Georgia example over and over again, so which I think is important to to remember as as we move forward. You know, for those who didn't hear the the Georgia story the first time, I mean, what Georgia chose to do when it reopened was to um, uh, let workers who make under three hundred dollars a week keep their unemployment benefits if they go back to work. So the money now moves with them, and there's no disincentive to go back to work. The fact that they had to do felt they had to do that, I think, is instructive, right? You know, mm -hmm. this is an issue, and that's a potential solution you might see at the federal level, which is okay. We're not going to take the money away, but you get it whether you go to work or not. And and variations on that theme, I I think, will be in the mix. Mm -hmm. So you know, going forward, what what else are you watching? Um, are there you know any figures you're tracking? Um, I know. Thomas Wade, AAF's director of financial service policy, put out the Fed tracker earlier uh, this week. What else are you watching? So uh, uh, Tom Wade is a is a, a gem. He's he's been tracking the Fed response from day one, and so if you go to his his tracker, you can see all the different things that the Fed has done in response to the fallout of the crisis. Um, he is now also going to track the size of the so-called Fed balance sheet. So you want to think of that as um, every time uh, they that I need some help and I go to the Fed and I I sell them uh, a commercial paper or something. Um, they put that on their balance sheet as an asset. So that's a measure of how much they're pumping in. And seeing that ramp up is, is uh, uh, instructive to see the scale of the response. You know, are, are, are we responding appropriately? He's also started tracking uh, the PPP. And I wrote about this uh, this morning, in fact. I've 
I have lots of complaints about the structure of the PPP. I think any discipline analyst can find ways that might have been better. Um, but I've been upset by the fact that there, there seems to have taken on this, this theme that somehow it's a failure and uh, only cronies of the banks got money and, uh, you know, big companies took it all and little companies didn't get it. And, and that's just not true in the numbers. Uh, it did something extraordinary, which is it pumped $531 billion out in a month. That's an unimaginable um, uh, accomplishment. It is way more than the Fed has has done. Right? Those, some of those things haven't really even started working yet. Unemployment insurance seems to have gotten about forty five billion out, and we sent the checks, and that was you know hundred billion. So the PPP is the single biggest response, and it's the best thing in the CARES Act. And I'm a little nervous about the bad publicity. Uh, mm -hmm. Shouldn't shouldn't have that that tone around it. Yeah, is it unfortunate? I mean, unfortunately, it's because of you know. The, you know, they'll find the one bad story and that's the one that gets the headlines. Is that pretty much what's happening with that? Yeah, that's what's happening. I mean, you know, the Ruth's Chris example, you know, they 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 applied for PPP number because when Congress wrote the law, they were eligible. And if you're eligible, you should apply. And that's that's all there is to it. And and then it turned into a political football and there's all this shaming and mm -hmm. and then who's the bank that gave it to Ruth Chris? What's wrong with those people? And that's all I think highly mistaken. Uh, especially on the following front, if we gave $100,000 to to a firm that didn't need it, that really had enough cash in the bank to weather the crisis, stuff like that, what would they do with it? Burn it? No. They would stick it in the bank, and thus it would be available in that bank to make a loan to somebody. And so the a, a, a loan that's not well targeted from that point of view still is beneficial to the economy, and the whole goal was to save the economy. So I think, I think this has been badly mischaracterized. Got it. Well, Doug, thank you for taking the time this week to, uh, again, update us on the recent, uh, um, you know, developments with the economic response to COVID-19. But before I let you go, I, as always, I have to ask, uh, what, what do you got planned for the weekend to get you through stay at home? Um, we, we are now, I think, nearly overbooked on virtual wine tastings, uh, which have become, they're, they're great fun. And uh, if you like wine, you know, people, they ship you the wines that will be tasted and you get online and, and you know, you can talk to the, the folks at the winery. In one case, we do it. Another one's in our condo. We just had somebody sort of walking us through them. So, so we'll have another weekend of those things. Um, we've got a, a, a virtual graduation from law school for our, our youngest, Dana. And so the, between those things, we'll have a great weekend. Awesome. Have you found any uh, keeper, keep wine keepers yet? Any bottles of wine that you'll, you'll go back to? Um, uh, no wine gets kept at my house. They all die a quick death, but I've enjoyed many of them. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Doug, thank you for taking the time. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Tune back in for our next episode, where our experts will provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic issues. I'd also encourage you to check out any of the links in our show notes, and also follow us on social media to learn more about AAF. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play.